Hello, welcome to My Camino, the podcast. I'm Dan Mullins. It's great to have your company. The physical act of writing that letter and just reminded me the importance of finding your voice, having your voice, and finding an outlet to express these things. That's this week's guest, Steve Wilson, and we'll get to Steve in just a moment. But first, this is a podcast about the Camino de Santiago, or the Way of St. James. James was one of Christ's apostles, and he travelled to Spain in the wake of Jesus' death to spread Christ's teachings. James returned to the Holy Land and was martyred. He was, in fact, the very first martyr. Hundreds of thousands of pilgrims walk El Camino de Santiago each year, walking with the blessing of St. James. They walk long, lonely paths, rocky escarpments, across rippling streams, down grassy slopes, into sleepy villages, past ancient churches, to the doors of majestic cathedrals, and by cattle meandering through their daily routine. Pilgrimage is a step-by-step meditation taking you where you need to go, not necessarily in terms of destination, but perhaps in terms of intention. And it's often said, your Camino begins when you decide where you're going to go. In last week's episode with Angus and Sue Fahihita, we talked about Camino paths in Switzerland, and I asked if there was a designated start point, and Angus said, yes, Dan, at your front door. And I thought it summed up perfectly the message of pilgrimage, start where you are, start today, start planning, begin the spreadsheet, and if you're like me, you have a folder, a place where all your notes and ideas go. It's where my very first notes are handwritten suggestions of where I might walk, where I might stay, where I might join the Camino Francaise, train stations, bus stations. There's even a printed page of useful Spanish phrases for tourists. (laughs) There's also a month-by-month guide to temperatures, me doing some research on the ideal month or months to walk. Do your reading and learning and love every moment of it. And you might listen to these podcasts. I like to think they can be an inspiration. My guests, of course, more than me. And I also like to think of people all around the world listening in, perhaps learning a thing or two, or even just for an hour a week, being taken back to their Camino. A chance to reflect on that time when you perhaps felt as close as you could to the best version of you. When you took time for you. When you took time to stop and watch the Spanish sunrise, the Spanish sunset. When you sat with perfect strangers and dined while church bells rang out in the town square. When you heard church bells chiming so often, you started to forget you were hearing them. When you became an expert on spotting stork nests at the top of church spires. When you asked someone, what day is it? When you slept on the top of a bunk bed that was pushed flush up to another bunk bed next to a total stranger. The joys of the simple life. The joys of pilgrimage. The joys of El Camino. The British author Guy Stagg wrote a book called The Crossway. It's about his pilgrimage walking five and a half thousand kilometres from Canterbury in the UK to Jerusalem. And he wrote, The pilgrimage provided a sense of purpose 
as well as the long march towards Jerusalem, it also knitted my life into the landscape. The months were replaced by the shifting seasons, while the weeks were measured out in rounds of worship. Staying in monasteries and convents, presbyteries and churches calmed what was restless within me. And during the regular services, I noticed how the minutes slowed and the silence assembled until the days were worth more than they had been before. Pilgrimage changes us. It provides opportunity. My guest this week is Steve Wilson. He knows all about the opportunity provided by El Camino. He's written a one-man show about his pilgrimage, and Steve Wilson is on the line. Welcome, Pilgrim. Thank you, Dan. Let me begin by asking a question I often ask at the beginning of my interviews. How did the Camino come into your life? Well, yeah, it came into my life in a well, in an unexpected way, basically. Uh, one of my older brothers is a keen hiker, walker to, uh, throughout his life. One day he said, I'm going to walk this this thing called the Camino de Santiago or the Camino Francis. And he did. And he, t- he took with him uh, a good friend, Peter, and, and my younger brother as well. Or well, my younger brother met them along the Camino Francis. And when they came back, you know, they told us all about their trip and they gave me three souvenirs, the traditional St. James Camino shawl worn by every Peregrino, uh, a Camino-style buff and a bookmark. And I was like, yeah, okay. And I, um, I put them away and actually I just forgot about them. And I got to a point in my life where three things sort of happened and uh, it was like fate was slapping me across the face three times and I was left in a bit of a quandary as to what I would do. And I realised I needed to step away from everything. I needed to step back. And one thing I decided was to take a year off. And then I decided well, I need to do, what am I going to do with this year off? And I decided to go house-sitting, which meant putting everything into storage because when you go house-sitting, you only put your possessions into, you know, a couple of bags and a few things and off you go. And in doing that, I found those three souvenirs and I looked at them and I thought, and it just sparked something where I'd been doing a lot of reading um, in order to, basically cope with the sort of trauma that I was going through and realised I really needed to do something different. And the idea of getting away and the idea of going to Europe, the idea of going away for a significant amount of time started to build. And I thought, why don't I walk the Camino? You know, I was just having this sort of personal conversation with myself and not really chatting to my brothers or anything. And and so I started to read, read what I could find on the, the internet. I bought a guidebook, uh, downloaded an itinerary, and I went, yeah, I'm going to just, I'm going to do this. I'm going to go to Europe for three months because that's how long you can be in Europe without... Um, a visa from Australia, being the the Schengen countries, and I'm going to do it. So all of a sudden I had this this purpose, I suppose, and 
me being me, I sort of tried to deflect myself and, oh, I could do this before I did And I'm like, no, 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 I just need to do this at the start of the three months and then I'll sort everything else out after that. So um, one of the three things that had happened to me was that I was just walking home one day, one afternoon, and I was physically assaulted. So I had to wait until the court case came up and I could deal with that before I could go away um, because I didn't know whether I'd have to appear in court or, or um, what I would need to do. Um, fortunately, the guy who uh, hit me, who in the show I referred to as Jesus because he actually looked like Jesus, um, pled guilty and so I could leave. So on my 55th birthday, I flew out of Sydney to Spain to walk the Camino, but not the Camino Francis. I chose to walk the, the Camino del Norte oh. across the north coast of Spain because in my reading I found that, oh, I'd read somewhere it was it was a little more traditional. Um, it was it was tougher. It was it was. Um, it was tougher than the Camino Francis, so I was going to do something that was harder to do than what uh, my older brother, Ross, Peter, and my younger brother, Mark, did. And it just appealed to me. So I flew into Madrid, caught a plane to um, uh, San Sebastian, Donostia Airport, and walked into Iron to try and find the, the bridge that is the official start of the Camino del Norte, Got lost. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, the guidebook wasn't much help. I didn't have a local SIM card. But I found the, the Albergue de Peregrinos and um, I was ready and I, and, uh, I started walking. Um, you know, and listening to your intro, I didn't have any real big plans on how, you know, I had an itinerary. But I didn't have any real big plans on okay, I'm going to walk to here, I'm going to walk to here, I'm going to... Um, I was just on my own. Uh, I'd yeah. read that um, a lot of the albergues had blankets, so I didn't even take a sleeping bag. I just took a sleeping bag liner and uh, where, I, where I needed to, I, I got blankets, and um, which was really handy because the first part of the, the journey was... Because um, I arrived in May, late uh, middle of May, and uh, it was cold. The yeah. first day, it just poured rain. And it's like, and, and at the Alderberga, you know, the, the bells go off of the morning to get everyone started. And it's, come on, get out, go, walk. And it's like, it was flogging down rain. And I'm going, this is crazy. So you arrive, it's cold, you're all alone, about to walk the Camino Norte to avenge this crisis in your life. What happens next? I hooked up with four people. One guy, they were all Korean, South Korean, but one guy was uh, actually from America and he, could, he spoke English. The other three were three women and he was sort of guiding them. So I said, cool, can, I, can I walk with you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so we start walking this heavy, heavy rain. It's cold. And um, I got ahead of them a bit and I missed the first turn. You're sort of walking along the road and then you get to a bridge and you're meant to take a left-hand turn. I missed the arrow. And they called out to me and got me back on track and uh, kept walking, got, got, a, got a bit further ahead of them. But um, 
Basically, I'm walking through the Basque country, walking along the coast. So you're just going up and down all the time for a large part of the, well, sort of the first half of the trip, really. Um, yeah, so that's that's wow. how I started. What What did you expect? Do you think before you left? What were your expectations, and and how did it turn out in terms of of what you expected? Basically, I didn't. I didn't have any expectations. Right. I was just, I was just, I'm going to walk. I'm, and it was like I need to do this long, long walk. It, it's, um, you, know, you know, it's funny because people say to me, Steve, I don't know why I did it. It just felt like it called me. It sounds to me like it kind of almost lured you there. For, it, it sort of said this is what you need. I looked at it and I went, yeah, I need to do this, something different. Yeah, I needed to remove myself from uh, everything that had been going on, and it was like I needed to do something different and and break habits. That was something that I'd read. It was like if you keep doing this, you know that old saying: if you keep doing the same thing, why do you expect anything to change? Yeah, right. Yeah, and and going on this long walk just um, just removes you from life. You know, and I'm on the other side of the world. Yeah. Tell us about some of the people that you met. After that initial day of sort of that first day and I, I met a guy from Canada, uh, uh, Michael or Miguel, um, I met a few other guys that night where I stayed who I would sort of link up with. But the main guy who I sort of linked up with in the first part of the trip uh, was a guy called Daniel from, from uh, Germany. And we would chat and, and walk and it was, yeah, you talk about finding yourself or you talk about sort of reacquainting yourself with who you are because mm. I think with all the different things that had happened to me, I, I had a lot of doubt. I had a lot of doubt about me, who I was in the world. And in that first part of the journey, so Daniel and I keep walking together and we get to Bilbao, Bilbao on the um, north coast of Spain. And he was only walking that far. He, uh, he'd taken some time off from work. He had to, and his wife had said, yeah, you need to get away. And his father had said to him, you need to walk the Camino. You know, because you, he'd done it previously. So Daniel took 10 days off and walked. And we would walk and talk and um, we get to Bilbao and, yeah, we find a bar, we get something to eat and drink, and then we keep walking along the river to the to the Guggenheim, the, the um, Guggenheim Museum, Bill Powell. Well, that's where we're, we're going to say goodbye. And he just asked me, he said, Steve, with everything you've been through, is there something already you've learned from the Camino? And, and it's without even thinking, I just said, I got my smile back. Yeah. Um, because the three, the three things that had happened to me, in some sense, just like wipe the smile off my face. But in the first week, 10 or so of that journey, it was like I I was finding myself again finding, and being happy. And, and the people that you walk with, they don't, they, don't, they, they don't care about what's happened before. And, yeah, you walk and you talk and you share stories, and, um, but they just accept you for who you are. So I would, you know, um, I met a number of people in that early part, people that I've stayed in touch with um, 
besides Daniel, like uh, young Sophie from Canada and Lydia from Slovenia and um, different people, uh, Brendan from Ireland uh, and, and Michael and Mikel from Canada, who oddly enough, you know, the guy I'm a guy I meet on my first day of walking, I meet him again on the last day of, of walking into Santiago. Um, so it, yeah, you, so for me that first part was about finding my smile, finding my joy, finding my uh, enthusiasm for, for life again. Wow. And just, and just sort of, well, yeah, I went through some pretty dark times. Yeah, you, you mentioned, you mentioned your, the assault. What, yeah. else, what else happened to you? Well, the sort of start of it was a relationship breakup. Right. Which sort of numbed me to a lot of things. And I was sort of, the, the, the sort of reason was, oh, you know, Steve, it's not you, it's me. And it took me a, ro- a while to realise actually what she was saying was the, the actual opposite. It is you, Steve. And, but she didn't, you know, the nice person that she is didn't quite know how to bluntly say that to me. Yeah, right. And and the middle of it was basically um, I lost my job. Right. So you so a relationship breakup. You lost your job. You were assaulted. All yeah. of this. All of this at fifty five, and you yeah. say, "Man, I need to find some space. I need to find some time. I need to get my head around it." A week. After walking, you get your smile back. Yeah. Well, and and it wasn't really like I need to get my head around it. It was just I need to get away. Yeah. Be- because and because one of the things Daniel said to me in that first part of the trip, he said, Steve, you know, um, in the old days, people said the trip to Santiago was all about the past and the present. But then you have to walk home. And that's about the future. And I was like, oh, okay. And in a lot of ways, the, the walk home, so to speak, well, I didn't, you know, I didn't walk back to my starting point, but the 12 months f- following the trip and writing a show and then performing a show is where I really started to make sense, more mm. sense of it and more sense of my experience of it and and. Um, um, finally, you know, having to admit a few things. Yeah, when you sort of sit down and start to write, you can document stuff and put it all in a line, and then you go, you go, okay, well, what's what's the what are the kernels here? And the trip itself, and in the show, so the yeah, the first key point person is is Daniel. And he's tied up with just, you know, and he, it was very funny. And we were just walking along and I said to him, Daniel, and he goes, yes, yeah, Steve. I said, you're German. And he goes, yeah, Steve. And I said, so you'd have a basement. And then he looks at me and goes, yeah, yeah, Steve, every German has a basement. And I said, I could come and visit you and live in your basement. And he went, yeah, you could. <laughs> and I'd be the crazy Australian and, and this was the start. I'd, I'd refer to myself as this crazy Australian. I'd be the crazy Australian living in your basement, and all your friends would come around to me. Yeah, you must do that. I tell Vivian. <laughs> and 
and it was the start of I I I um and I did afterwards I went and and visited he, you know he was very welcoming wow. and really nice guy yeah um we really connected over football because I mentioned that my son was a supporter of Werder Bremen and he's going what that's that I I support Werder Bremen just you know weird coincidences yeah, like yeah, that yeah yeah the show's divided into parts and that first part the center of it is it's Daniel. And when I got to Bilbao, I had a, an interesting little pause because I developed a massive blister on my foot. And the blister taught me something as well, which was really, really slow down. I spent yeah. five nights in Bilbao, which was an amazing place. You know, you started to go, well, hang on, I don't have to follow the schedule. I don't have to follow the itinerary. You don't have to follow the main route. You can, there are there are all these great little alternate routes and because you're walking along the coast, some of them, you know, you, you're down onto the beach and different things. The stop in Bilbao and the blister, yeah, I couldn't walk. I had, I had to stop. It was huge. I mean, I show a photo of it in the show and everyone <laughs> recoils in oh, horror. Oh, wow. So after five days, I start again and I go, okay, I'll walk to this place called Porbena and I start walking um, and I get there and it's like, oh, I feel okay, I'll just keep going. So I bump into a guy from France, from the Netherlands and who I would continue to bump into along the way. But I get to a place um, called Enton which is inland, and it's a place where um, the guidebook said the way divides between the short way and the long way. This was painted on the road as well, you know, long way to the left, short way to the right. And I get involved there, I sort of invite myself into a, a conversation with um, this tall, distinguished-looking guy and this short, younger, attractive woman. And they were both French, and they become the sort of the next significant people because uh, that was Alain and Violette. And I'm going, where's where's the albergue? There's an albergue around here. Let's go to the albergue. And uh, Alain sort of went, and we go off to the albergue, but Violette kept walking. So the albergue is not open doesn't open for another hour or so. So Alain and I just sat and talked. Then Giuseppe, the owner, turns up and goes, oh, are you guys here to, to come to the old burger? And he was like, yeah. Well, he said, oh, I don't open for another hour. Oh, well, you're here, sir. I'll just open anyway. Fantastic. <laughs> so we check in. Giuseppe says, do you want to have lunch? And then all of a sudden, I don't really remember how it happened, but Violette turns up and sits next to me. It's the start of this sort of walking friendship. Alain would set off each day early because he liked to get out on his own and Violette and I would walk. But we were also walking with the German mother and her daughter, uh, Veronica and Sarah. But we sort of become a bit of a, bit of a team in, in different places and this sort of uh, romance happens between Violette and I. Uh, she's taking time out from her work and has come to walk the section from Bilbao through to Santander, uh, such that when we get to Santander, 
well, just the day before we do, she tells me that, look, I'm fly- uh, I finished in Santander and then I'm flying home on the Sunday. And that was Thursday and we were staying at uh, Guaymes, at this fantastic albergue run by Father Ernesto and his volunteers. It's, it's a fairly sort of well-known one on the northern route. Um, and I go, hmm, we're going to get to Santander tomorrow why don't I just have a day off and have a day with you? And so that told me to slow down again, enjoy the people who I'm with, enjoy the moments that come along and and the opportunities that sort of present themselves. It was just a, a wonderful, wonderful uh, day and it was just a... She left on the Sunday? Well, yeah, yeah, on the... so. Stayed the Saturday. Sunday morning, I started walking. Bit of a bummer of a day. I mean, she had a, a day to herself in Santander and then flew home that after, afternoon, uh, evening. Let me just ask you this. Um, so you, you come home, you have this most amazing experience, and you write a one-man show. It's called Camino mm-hmm. Man. And the promo mm-hmm. says, along the way, he meets a variety of people who inadvertently help him to recover his sense of self his sense of adventure, and his smile. Tell us about the writing of, this, of the Camino Man and you might even tell us how you put it together. Did you, do you, do you, did you write a script? Did you just put down some dot points and you riff on them? Or tell us about the show. The first thing I did was actually just, just write and document. And I recorded it as a just a little seven-episode podcast and then put that out there. Then I went, yes, I'm going to write a show. And I was inspired a little bit by, after the Camino, as part of that three months in Europe, I wanted to get to the Edinburgh Fringe Festival. I had friends in Scotland, so I wanted to visit them. And I got to Edinburgh and in two and a half days, I saw 15 shows. And one of those shows was actually a show called I Camino, and it was by a guy from Sydney. And this was the, it was a show about his Camino, or more importantly, his and his partner's Camino. She came up to him one day and goes, we should do this. What is it? The Camino. What's the Camino? You find out. And he talks about how they'd got to a point in their relationship and they go on this walk. And so the relationship, you know, a um, couple of adult children, he was an actor, um, he'd done different things and was a personal trainer and they reached a moment in their relationship and like, where are we going here? And the Camino, as he tells the story, was about their relationship coming back together such that on the beach at Finisterra they have a commitment ceremony. And I sit down, I'm watching this, and I go, yeah, I'm gonna, I, my story's pretty good. I think, yeah, I'm going to do this. And I, and I have a background in performing arts. It's like, yeah, I'm going to do this. So the, so the podcast was all about sort of documenting, and I really sort of try to put as much information in there. But then I go, okay, a French theatre show, it's 60 minutes. I've got to get this down. And, and that's where I sort of divided it up into the sections were already there. So the first part with Daniel, second part with Violette and Alain, 
because the next the next part when I started walking from Rekayata was about catching up with Alan. I do, but me being me, I and I make mistakes. And when he said, "Are you going to visit me after the walk?" and I I slipped into my old habits, and I went, "Oh, gee, I have to," rather than get just embracing the opportunity and going, "Yeah, I will." And part of what I do because he walks, we separate, and he walks the Primitivo, and and I keep going on the Del Norte, and I go, what have I done? Steve, what have you done? And I end up messaging him and saying, look, I'd love to visit you if you'll still have me because I realised I'd offended him by not accepting that hospitality straight away. So we sort of stay in touch, and I do end up catching up to him in Santiago. I sort of arrived earlier to, to Santiago, and then I go out to Finisterre and get a bus back. And here, and we meet the next day. We actually meet in the plaza outside the cathedral. And I, apolog- I apologise to him. I look at him, I say, where's your big backpack? And he says, oh, I left it in an albergue on the way in. Oh, which one? Oh, on the left as you walk in. I said, what does it look like? He said, it's blue and yellow. I said, was it called something stellar? Yeah. I said, Alain, we're staying in the same albergue. <laughs> it turned out we had bunks next to each other. Oh. But the other big part in sort of getting it all down and crystallising around different people was uh, a young woman from Norway, Marlin. And we, we've met and then we meet again and then we start walking together and then she, you walk and you talk and she tells me about her research, she's, you know, a postgrad student, da 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 and I tell her about my story and and then she shares a story, which gives me a lot of perspective about that assault. In fact, yes, she'd been um, in Jordan and the taxi driver tried to rape her. And I was like going, oh, my God. She tells me in the end about how she was able to deal with it. And it was much later and a a mother figure who was also a counsellor suggested she talked to the man through a guided meditation. And I thought about that. And I thought, yeah, I, with everything that happened to me, I didn't have a voice in it. And so I sat down that night and wrote a letter. As I say, I wrote a letter to Jesus, my attacker. But it really helped. So in terms of writing the show, it's, it's these little moments. And the part which kept evolving is the part, I get to Santiago, walk to Finisterre, um, to the end of the world, on my own. And I walk, so in the morning I walk out of town and I get to this stone bridge and has, you know, in yellow, big yellow arrow, Finisterre, painted on it. And for some reason I just start crying and I go, what's going on? Throughout a lot of my life, and this is, I have this deep sense of insecurity and that sort of comes up, you know, I've never been any good in anything I've ever did is what I say. And I go, but hang on, I just walked the Camino del Norte and I met a lot of people who thought I was okay and I'm actually okay about doing this on my own. And then I think about my mum and I think about how she stayed. Now, originally it was how she stayed with my father, but when my brother Ross came to see the show, he said, Steve, you have to say it. You have to say abusive alcoholic father. And 
in the show, I do know, I say, of how my mum stayed with my abusive alcoholic father, even though she wanted to leave. Uh, she stayed hoping things would get better because God told her to. That was what she told me later. And it's a sort of re- realisation also in there for me about and an admission when you're on stage by yourself and you've got a crowd of people and you say um, of how this is where my that sense of never being any good in anything I ever did because I can never please my father. So the show keeps evolving and it ties back to the thing I was saying earlier about it's through the writing and, and part and reflection about the trip, about the Camino, about what I experienced, about what those people meant to me, that I've learned so much. Yeah. And and actually been able to admit these sorts of things. And and then I the, the reference I made earlier about it was like I got to a point and I got slapped across the face three times. And it was like, yeah, there was a lot that I just wasn't dealing with. Yeah. So going on that long walk and meeting these people, meeting Daniel, meeting Violet, meeting Alan, even Michael from Canada and, and, and Marlon, they don't know me from anyone. I'm just this guy walking along the road who goes, hola, or bon camino, and then you meet again at, a, at an old burger and you go, oh, hang on, I walked past, yeah, oh, hey, g'day, and you chat and, and then you might see them at another Alberga, especially like Marlin, and uh, and I was like, "Do you want to walk together?" And I'm like, yeah, let's let's just walk, and you talk, and these stories come out, and it's those those stories which I sort of reenact a little bit in the show, which are sort of a, a key key moments, and and when I get to the end of the show. It's like, this is what I've learned. Mm. This is what, you know, this is, you know, I still stay in touch with these people through things like WhatsApp and Instagram. And yeah. I still make mistakes, but it's okay. I remember listening to one of your previous podcasts and about that sort of, yeah, some people get so fixed on you've got to walk from here to here and you've got to do it in 31 days or something. Yeah. All up for me, including well, effectively it was thirty-one days for me. I took five. Uh, if um, it was about thirty-six, thirty-seven days, counting the five nights in Bilbao and then the extra night in Santander. But along, you know, along, I'd, I walked two fifty-kilometer days. Right. Um, yeah, pretty crazy. I know. Uh, I'd done a forty k, and that was the day when I couldn't believe what I'd done with Alan, and I just walked. And I was angry and. And I was walking up hills and I was supposed to get – I missed the turn to a particular alberga and then I really, when I missed the turn, I'm at the bottom of the, the mountain. I was like, oh, I just keep going. And the first 50K day, I was Marlon going, Steve, I've got to be in Santiago tomorrow. We're, I'm going to walk to Arusa today. It's 50K. I was like – and I'm going – yeah, so, you know, when we started walking at eight in the morning, and by this time, Marlon, she was having problems with her knees, you know, that because 
on the northern route with the uh, the ups and the downs, and it's the downs which can really hurt your knees. So we stopped at a place called um, Sobrada Los Monches and sat at a bar and had a beer in this massive, huge monastery, old monastery that was being restored with um, funds from the EU and things. And I'd thought about staying there. But then I just looked at her and went, no, I'm walking with you. I don't want you to walk alone. So I did. And so we got to Arusa, and I joined the Francis uh, about 8.30 that night. We were, you know, we rock into, where are we going to stay? Where are we going to stay? We, we, we get a bed at um, one of the Adelbergais, uh, one of the sort of government, local government run ones. Yeah, then the next day we walked from Arusa to Santiago, which was another, you know, hugely emotional experience. Again, Marvin was having to walk so slowly. That's the day I meet Michael again, and we walk for a while with his he and, he and his walking companions, uh, Dirk from the Netherlands and Anna from Germany. They stop, but we keep going. That walk into town, it's sort of like, where's the cathedral? Where's the cathedral? So somebody, <laughs> where are we going to get to the cathedral? Um, and you're going through these little past shops across. Yeah. An intersection up a slope through yeah, the laneways, yeah. past more churches, and then you get to that covered, that sort of cloister. You don't really, I didn't realize actually that's the cathedral there. Yeah, yeah. And you go down the steps, and Marlin's walking sideways down the steps. That's how bad her knees were. And then you just come out, and it's the plaza. And it's like, what? So she starts crying. I start crying. Her phone starts ringing. It's her dad <laughs> ringing her, and Violet messages me. It's like, this is crazy. Yeah. We were so worn out and tired and emotional. We grab a beer. And then I go, Marlin, that's Jesus. There's another Jesus. This was a guy from the Netherlands who we would bump into along the way. You know, he has that sort of classic look with the long hair and the beard. And we go over and we say hello. And he, he just puts up his hand because he's on the phone talking to his dad and having a beer. Um, and, the, and it turns out his name is Dice from the Netherlands. And he'd been walking from the Netherlands. Right. But he wrote his postgraduate dissertation about the sense of community created by people on the Camino. And I and I was like, yeah, yeah, it is this yeah. big, crazy, wonderful community. And it was something that Father Ernesto talked about back in Guemes because it, it's a big albergue, 84 people there that night. And you, you don't get dinner until you get the, the talk from Fa- Father Ernesto translated from Spanish into French and English. And he talks about when he's time working in a village in the mountains in South America. And he going, I can't, I can't minister to these people. They've got nothing. What am I going to do? I'm going to help them. And he talks about how he helped them build better amenities, housing, start and provide education. And he says, this is my message to you. You need to help one another and build that Camino community. And it's the constant surprise, Steve, isn't it? That connection that brings so much delight. People surprise you along the way. 
you know, that, that first day walking to Finisterre and it starts raining again and, and I've had these personal revelations and I don't know what I'm, it's all about and I was like, I need to check in so I just go to this albergue and I was like, I hadn't talked to anyone that day. No one, and the four guys in my room didn't really want to talk to me and that was strange. And then at dinner, people want to talk um, and it was a group of people, the Germans, and, and and the same thing happened the following night. It was another group of people from Germany taking time off just to walk a particular section. I was like, hey, Steve, want to have a beer? It's like, yeah, sure. Um, that community of people, you know, okay, I got my smile back, but it's because of all those people who just went, hey, we don't care. We just... You seem like a good guy. We'll tap. We'll talk to you. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, and you got a little bit of belief back in yourself, right? Yeah, because I didn't know at the start of all this. I didn't know what I was going to do, where I was going to go. And writing the show was about touching base again with what I like to do, what made me happy. Yeah, um, and being responsible for that and going. Yeah, I'm going to write this show and and I used to teach students, um, young adults in a performing arts course and I'd say to them, write a fringe show, see the world and I've never done it. Yeah. So, so. Fabulous. The, and at the moment, okay, I've got a, I'm working a day job but that's to put the money in the bank so I can do my show because the goal is to get back to Edinburgh and do it there. Wow, how fantastic. You know, um, you mentioned at the top of the interview that you'd been assaulted. You said uh, yep. the fellow looked like Jesus. And, and, and just a moment, a moment or two ago, you said, I sat down and I, I wrote a letter to Jesus, my attacker. Yes. What did you say in that letter? A number of things because actually I'd met the guy before. He was um, where I was living in Newcastle. Uh, he actually lived around the corner from me. And he was a man who three times a day walked the streets. I'd actually been to the local Woolworths, you know, the supermarket, and um, he'd been outside and I'd given him money. I'd walked past him before near my house or near where I was, near where I was living. What I said in the the letter was, you know, that day basically when, when – so, he, yeah, he, he walked past me and turned and hit me from behind and I could not – all I did was smile like I always do. You know, you smile at a person. And I said to him, you know, that day you, you, you wiped the smile off my face. Because, um, you know, I never understood why you did it. A, a, a counsellor sort of explained it to me later in terms of Steve. He was probably off his medication and saw you as a threat. I was like, me? A threat? But I realised, yeah, that, that was correct. Um, he was right off his normal routes in terms of walking and things like that. And post the assault, I was still living where I was and he was still living around the corner and I would see him all, it was like I'd see him all the time. I went to walk out of the supermarket one day and there he was. 
you know, I was I I did express some gratitude that he pled guilty, that he owned it, so to speak. But I also said, I, I you know, I I didn't get an, an opportunity within the, the the legal process to actually tell you what happened to me that day. So that was what's um, in the letter. Yeah. I mean, the letter's here on the phone because it's this phone that I used to just sit and, and type out the letter and I sent it to one of my uh, close friends. To I said, I did this today, um, inspired by what Marlin had said. And I haven't looked at it much since then. But it was the the intent was like, yeah, you you took away my smile. Yeah, I'm not going to let you do that anymore. Yeah, actually, I'd have to revisit that letter and and look at it again to because I suppose I've just refocused and gone. What's important to me now? Yeah, yeah. And yeah. actually, you know, go like I say, it was it was like yeah, three slaps across the face in terms of, of fate and saying, Steve, what are you doing? Yeah. And making sense of the Camino or, or okay, where am I going now? I'm Well, I'm now 57. So I walked the Camino in 2019, got back in August 2019. All I wanted to do in some sense was uh, go back. Yeah, yeah. But um, that wasn't to be. But there was, there was just the physical act of writing that letter and it had never had not occurred to me until what that counsellor had said and, and just reminded me of the importance of finding your voice, having your voice and finding an outlet to express these things. And, you know, yeah, people listened to me. You tell your story. Why are you doing this? Well, these things happened to me. Wow, that's, that's shit. Um, that's no good. Uh, there was a story there with Alan, which I didn't quite find out until I'd visited him and met his wife, Bridget. But they'd gone through a rocky time because he was a man who had a business, sold the business, retired, and then his wife experienced a a brain aneurysm. And by the time I met her, she she was still getting, it affected the left-hand side of her body, so she was still getting a full use back of her left arm and hand. It was just this tall, distinguished-looking French guy, and he's got a big blue backpack, and he goes, Steve, I feel it. You know, we get a, we get a dinner, and he says, Steve, we must drink wine. I feel it is my job, being a Frenchman, to educate you about wine. And when I say, okay, look, I'd love to visit you in Paris, we're messaging back and forth. And he said, well, look, I'm not going to be in Paris at that time. I'll be in Douadene in Brittany at my holiday home. And I go, your holiday home? And he goes, yeah. Wow. Um, but he, they also had a, an apartment. So they had an apartment in Paris, a house north of Paris. I never quite found, like, found out what he did or anything. But he was another person who was like, on the Camino, it doesn't matter whatever your background or where you're from. It's just, it's like, all that matters is you and the person you're walking with and how you behave right there and then. And what a fantastic thing to learn. Well, yeah. Yeah, and it, um, you know, came along at the right time for me. Yeah. I think we get trapped in our, 
nine to five day to day living, and and I'm sort of experiencing a bit of that again. Um, and it's easy to sort of fall into a a trap, and all of a sudden it's five years have gone by, ten years have gone by. For me. I'd sort of lived a lot of my life for other people and the, and the last sort of stage that was going because my, my wife and I had broken up, still very amicable, and the focus was on raising our son. And I remember saying to myself one time, just got to get my son through high school and I'd like to meet someone. And that was the, the woman who broke up with me. There was another opportunity for a wonderful relationship which I didn't quite realise what I was doing at the time because I hadn't stepped away from any everything and actually spent a, a bit of time on me and who I am and yeah. where I'm going. And I think that's a big factor in me finding my direction again was that walk, that, that Camino, was that simple task of, Walking each day, making decisions. Yeah, I'm going to do, it. and and the people you meet along the way, and it's very um, the people that I met and the impact that they had in my life. It's just amazing. Yeah, what a wonderful gift to find uh, when you needed it most. Yeah, the Camino. Yeah, yeah. Wow, what a great story. I'm absolutely fascinated, and I'm I'm dying to see the show. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the the show is is um, fifty five sixty minutes. It's me. It's a monologue. I've learnt it. Um, I performed it at the sort of Newcastle Fringe uh, this year, and then I went out to Dubbo and did it there. And I'm oh. going to Sydney, uh, and I'll be there in September. Everything going well. For those who know their sort of theatre background, I, I call it a cross between a, a Spalding Gray monologue and a William Yang slideshow because I have a little slide clicker and I, I, sli- I show slides from the, the trip and I have titles and it's like, yeah, this day, whatever, and I walk from here to here and these, these many kilometres. And so you see all the, a lot of the, well, not a lot. I came back with about 800 images from the three months I was there in Europe, but I said, yeah, pictures along the way. Wonderful. You know, it's like the... the the Basque country is an amazing place. Yeah. And then, you know, you're crossing into, you know, Cantabria and um, Galicia and and the way it changes. And talking about routes and alternate routes, Marlon and I get to a point and there's a sign that just says, Del Norte Historico. And I looked at her, she looked at me. We looked in our guidebooks. It's not listed in the guidebook. And we go, you want to take it? Yeah. Turns out it was the actual route before they sort of extended. They put a bridge in it, Ribadeo, 40, 50 years ago. Life's full of those. Do I t- do I take the look, the you know Robert Frost the, the route less travelled? Do I um, make those little decisions about which way will I go here? And um, Camino can be full of that. Yeah. Yeah. So do you think your audience, is it just like normally general punters or are, are they pilgrims? Who, who sort of comes to see your show, do you think? Bit of both. Right. So, so yeah, look, in, in Newcastle, it was, it was um, a lot of family and uh, friends and, and people who I've, I've known and uh, 
from performing world and different things. And um, but some people, yes, it, it walked the Camino. Uh, even in Dubbo, I was did a little sort of publicity thing uh, in the um, the bandstand on the main street, and this guy just walked over at, at the end and said, "Excuse me, you've walked the Camino," and I went, "Yeah." He said, oh, my wife and I were thinking of doing it. And then, you know, we had kids and I said, where's your wife? He said, oh, over here, we're just having lunch. I said, how about I sit down and, and talk to you? Oh, oh, do you want to have some lunch? And I said, oh, no, 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 I'm, I'm good. I've got a coffee. And so we just sat and, and sort of shared that story. Um, and then, you know, another friend of a friend came to see the show and they were like, yeah, I wanted to walk the Camino. We all went out for dinner later um, and she's like, ask me, okay, so you did this and then you did that. And did you book? No, I didn't. Oh, and da-da-da-da-da. It is something that's, you know, out there and, yeah. So in, in Sydney I'm hoping to actually obviously make contact and tap into a few different networks of people who have walked the Camino and find out about their stories. Everyone's got a story to tell. Yeah, that's for sure. No, that's absolutely the case. And some of them are <laughs> fabulous too. Once you become a, well, like me, you become addicted to it. I just love hearing people's stories. And I've thoroughly enjoyed hearing your story, I have to say. It's it's wonderful to talk you, to Dan. you, Steve. Yeah. So the show is called Camino Man. Um, your goal is to take it to the Edinburgh Festival. And I think it's a wonderful sort of ambition. I think it's a great story. Congratulations. Um, I spent a bit of time Thank you. in Newcastle. Thank you. I've got a great friend of mine and, and I recorded part of my album up there in a little studio in Katara. It's a beautiful city and I think it's only starting to believe in itself. Newcastle, it's wonderful. It's got a lot to offer and a great place to live. Yeah, it's fabulous. Hey, thanks yeah. so much for taking the time to talk to us, Steve. And congratulations on the one-man show. And as I say, I look forward to seeing it. Congratulations on finding the time and space on the Camino to recover your sense of self, your sense of adventure and your smile. You've given <laughs> us all reason to smile throughout the course of this interview. Buen Camino, Steve. Thank you, Dan. Buen Camino. My guest this week was Steve Wilson. Steve's a writer and performer from Newcastle here in Australia. His one-man show is called Camino Man. The British author Guy Stagg wrote a book called The Crossway. It's about his pilgrimage, walking five and a half thousand kilometres from Canterbury in the UK to Jerusalem. And he wrote, The pilgrimage provided a sense of purpose, as well as the long march towards Jerusalem. It also knitted my life into the landscape. The months were replaced by the shifting seasons, while the weeks were measured out in rounds of worship. Staying in monasteries and convents, presbyteries and churches calmed what was restless within me. And during the regular services, I noticed how the minutes slowed and the silence assembled until the days were worth more than they had been before. Thanks for your company as always. Until next week, I'm Dan Mullins. Buen Camino. Somewhere.